there is a certain amount of gut, there is a certain amount of instinct, and there's a certain amount of homework that goes into how you determine the people you're going to hire, uh, that you're hiring, uh, do in fact have integrity. But I also think there are people that might have high integrity, there might be people who are opportunistically uh, high integrity people, if there's such a concept. Um, if you create an environment where that is the standard, that where that's the expected, then people will tend to elevate and rise to that. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations Powered by Quantibos. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a Quantibos coach. And our guest today is Donnie Askin. Donnie is a tech entrepreneur who has started, bought, sold eight tech companies, I think, over the last several decades. He is also an advisor to us here at Quantibos. So welcome, Donnie. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. As we discussed before we went live, if you will, you've got a very rich background and a lot of areas we could focus on. One of the things that I think is important to our audience that we have not addressed yet on conversations is the topic of leadership integrity. So I'd love for us to go there. First of all, Donnie, what does integrity mean? I think it's a combination of being true to yourself and true to those that depend on you, that surround you, and that, that work with you. And um, I, I think, but similar to charity, it starts at home. And, uh, and if, you can, uh, if you can do that, then it, it tends to permeate out. Integrity is, I agree, one of those things that is multi-directional, if you will, internal and external. How does one test one's own integrity? That's interesting. It was an early lesson for me. I, I remember Years and years ago, in the beginning of my professional career, I was at a sales meeting, and uh, in the moment, I said something that wasn't really truthful. It wasn't completely wasn't completely false, but it wasn't truthful either. And it, I just felt awful about it so much so that that uh, an hour or two later, after the meeting had ended, I reached out to. Uh, this happened to be uh, in conjunction with IBM back then. I reached out to the sales representative and reached out to the prospect and not only corrected myself, but apologized for the misstatement. And it, was, uh, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was a hard lesson for me. And, and fortunately, at a very early time, you know, to speak the truth, to, and, and invariably taking the truthful path in the end is always the easier path. It doesn't necessarily feel that way in the moment, but it does, it does tend to come back around. And if you set an environment that expects integrity, you will typically get integrity back. So and I think it's oftentimes easy to to not be uh, as focused on integrity in the moment, but it has really been a cornerstone in terms of how I how I lead, how I operate, and how I interact with folks. A lot of my coaching clients here at Quantibos really focus on what is their personal purpose, you know, what is it that gets them up and excited 
still go to work in the morning, but also knowing that about the members of their teams and doing what they can to align the team member's purpose with organizational purpose. How does that play into integrity in your view? Interesting question. Well, there's, you touched on, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I think um, if you listen to Scott Galloway, he'll be the first one to tell you, anybody that tells you follow your passion is giving you a lot of BS. I, I don't actually believe that. I don't even know if it's follow. I, I was very fortunate. I got hooked in technology at a very early age before it was really in vogue as it is now. Um, and I just naturally gravitated to it. So to this day, you know, 45, 50 years later, as a professional, there isn't a single day I wake up and, and, and wonder why the clock is going so slow, quite the opposite. Um, I, I look up at the clock expecting it to be 11 a.m. and it's, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. So I, I'm, I've been fortunate enough to find something that I love to do. And by the way, I get paid for it as opposed to the other way around. Um, and, and it starts there. So that makes me, you know, what I do um, that much easier for me. Now, not everybody finds that passion. A lot of people have to dig and look and uh, look hard. Uh, sometimes it's sitting right in front of them. My definition of an entrepreneur is is someone that sees the opportunity they're staring them right in the face, but not that many people can actually see that opportunity staring them right in the face. Um, so I, I guess I feel fortunate in that respect. But um, so there's the issue of, of being passionate about what you do. There is the issue of uh, who and and who you surround yourself with, uh, as we were discussing briefly before we started here. Um, I'm a firm believer of you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. You should not only never be afraid to hire somebody smarter than you, if you aren't hiring people smarter than you, then you're probably doomed to failure. And uh, in my own personal leadership style, I'm more of a, and I, I didn't even know the term until somebody explained it to me, uh, you know, describing it. As a, as a servant leader, enabling others, those around me to be their best, to do their best, setting guardrails and strategy with them and with their buy-in. Um, and then great things tend to happen. So uh, I'm not sure I answered your, your original question because there were so many points to it, but um, um, that, that's really how I feel about it. For me, living into my purpose really calls me into integrity. Interesting. Um, because again, I'm being true to myself, true to who I am, true to what feeds my soul as well as my family. Mm -hmm. And, and in looking at it that way, it's like, how could I not live in integrity in the, the work that I'm doing? If it has that much meaning and purpose to me. Uh, it, I, it's a very interesting perspective. Cause I guess I, I almost look at it like air, you know, I, I assume it's there. And only when it's not there do I do I miss it. And look, there's been there are times where folks have not been truthful to me in transactions that I've done where the other side really wasn't coming clean. My general assumption is that people are of high integrity until proven otherwise. So I, although I do note it in my my um, sort of description in my bio, right, wrong, or indifferent, I take it for granted. I take it as a given because that's how I try to operate. But uh, you raise a very good point there. So you may have answered my next question already, which was going to be, how do you hire for integrity? It's a good question. It's a very good question. Interesting. I just saw yesterday, I believe it was the state of New York is no longer allowing AI tools to be used in the hiring process. 
which is a whole, whole other sidebar here. And having, you know, my biggest company uh, at its peak was about 250 people. I've run, you know, started companies with four, five, six people, or actually just one person being myself, um, and and almost everything in between. Um, and hiring is, is so difficult. Even with all that experience, I say my success ratio is 60 to 70%. You do probe, you do ask about relationships, you do obviously your homework in terms of references and backdoor references and try and get a picture of that person. But there, there are many ways to not be, to have high integrity. One may be somebody's very truthful, but they don't necessarily give you the, the answer unless you ask them the specific question. And to me, that's not high integrity. And I had a, we had bought a company and uh, it's always difficult for an acquired CEO to find, particularly an entrepreneurial CEO, to find their way in, in post-acquisition. I admired and, and revered his entrepreneurial spirit. But if I asked him a question, I got the answer to the question, but I, nothing more was volunteered. And ultimately, um, just a year into a two-year contract, we parted ways, not because of anything that he didn't tell me that was truthful, but the fact that I, he didn't share the whole picture. And, and to me, that's, that's integrity as well. So there is a certain amount of gut, there is a certain amount of instinct, and a certain amount of homework that goes into how you determine the people you're going to hire, uh, that you're hiring, uh, do in fact have integrity. But I also think there are people that might have high integrity, might people who are, are opportunistically uh, high integrity people, if, you, if there's such a concept. Um, if you create an environment where that is the standard, that where that's the expected, then people will tend to elevate and rise to that, um, which gets back to the whole issue of culture and the, the cohesiveness, the glue that culture creates, but also sets the standard. And you can put it into a document and we everybody has their their standard uh, ten points of code of work and code of ethics or whatever it might be or or uh, business principles, but it's really the operating environment because oftentimes the word and, and the environment may be two different things or sometimes they can be two different things. So it's about setting that environment in such a way that integrity is is a given. It's minimum expectation, and then that creates that ongoing concept for the whole organization. I like that context of the culture, the environment for integrity. And in listening to you, I'm thinking for myself of some of what those cultural attributes would be. Certainly a culture of trust mm -hmm. would foster integrity. A culture of transparency would foster, I think, integrity. A culture in which people relate to people more fully than the roles that they're in, I think is, is probably also important. What other cultural aspects um, would you identify as important to fostering integrity in the workplace? Uh, an environment that's not punitive, an environment where accountability is important, but uh, honest failure um, is acceptable. Look, I, I often say that my claim to fame as I work with other companies, I've made every mistake in the book and lived to talk about it. And so obviously I have failed many times on a very minute scale and on a very major scale. And I've actually uh, was working in, in a, a client environment where the CEO would just go really off the rails if you made a mistake. Um, and that is not the kind of environment that creates cohesiveness and culture. And, and by the way, this individual could be the greatest human being when things were good, but 
when this individual was under pressure, became very he became very toxic. So um, it's that environment where you can make honest mistakes and and own up to those mistakes, be accountable with those mistakes, and hopefully learn from them. Look, another key part in any organization um, is is common sense and good judgment. I mean, frankly, good judgment is one of the big things that I hire for. And I know some very talented people who just don't have very good judgment. Now, it's not innate, it's learned, but it shouldn't take 10 times uh, to get hit in the head before you learn to duck. And same thing with judgment. Judgment, you should be able to learn and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. But it gets back to the environment. As I said, I've made plenty of my mistakes and, and you learn from them. I, I'm fond of saying, of my companies, I had a couple of big wins, a couple of break-evens, and a couple of losses. You love the big wins. They're obviously financially very good. The break-evens tend to be the same amount of work as the big wins, but you don't have the outcome, so that I view that as a bit of a waste of time. And then the losses, are frankly, where you learn everything. And if you don't, and, and if you don't have them, and more importantly, if you don't learn from them, then obviously you're doomed to to relive them. I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier because I find it so important in the field of leadership, which is hiring people smarter than yourself. To me, it, it just makes so much sense. And yet to so many leaders, there's this need to be the smartest person in the room. Years ago, I was observing Daryl Connor who is uh, one of the founders of the profession of change management, organizational change management. And he did a presentation to a group of partners of a global firm that was undertaking a major transformation. And um, they asked, he opened it up for questions after he was done with his presentation. And one of the partners said, we're all type A personalities here. We have all the answers. We don't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for our transformation effort? And basically, Daryl said, "Good luck," because even if even if you are the smartest person in the room, you're not smarter than the collective in the room. And so, again, creating that that culture of integrity, that culture of openness that you're talking about, is the only way to draw from that wisdom. Otherwise, you have that leader that you were just talking about that only tells you that two inches of the answer that you uh, that directly relates to your question and doesn't give you the full information that you need. Absolutely. So it's interesting. Um, we all have our own styles. I'm in terms of thinking and speaking. I'm not a terribly patient person. So if if a subject is on the table and I've got a thought. I'll speak up. The challenge there is if you're the CEO or you're the SVP or the EVP, what you don't want is groupthink. What you don't want is a lot of people, you know, just buying into that because that's what you said. So it's been really important for me to encircle myself or surround myself with people who can accept the fact that I've got a point of view and not be afraid to challenge it. Um, One of my other sort of um, rules is you know, when we're in an executive team meeting, a senior leadership team meeting, it's fair game. There no, shouldn't be any yelling or, or, you know, anything personal, but it should be challenging. It should be controversial. You shouldn't be afraid to, to really be adamant about your point of view. And 
once that meeting is over and that door open and we walk out the rest of the company, there can only be a single point of view. Hopefully a consensus, but there are times when the CEO or the leader needs to make the call because there is no consensus, but there can only be one voice at that point. And I've been in, in companies where that wasn't the case and that there's nothing positive that comes out of that. That said, if you've got an executive uh, leadership team that doesn't feel like they're your peer and can't speak out freely and really challenge not just the CEO, but anybody else in the room, then you're really not going to get the best outcomes and the best results. Donnie, in listening to you just now, what jumped out at me is you know yourself. And in knowing yourself, you also let yourself be known to the people around you. And again, to me, that's a part of living in integrity as a leader. If you don't know that it's important for you to get your point of view out on the table quickly, or if those in the room don't know that it's also open game, if you will, for them to challenge that. That's correct. Um, doesn't work. Then not only doesn't work, but they can't be leading in integrity because they're keeping their mouths shut because they don't want to challenge the boss. You're absolutely right. And, and I actually, on the point of knowing myself, um, I'm 72. I'm hopeful I know myself by the time I turn 90. Uh, every day is a learning experience. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, if you're in technology, which I am, the day you stop learning is the day you need to get the heck out of the business. So I, I, I continue to learn and, and to some degree evolve. And I think what is sometimes mistaken for wisdom is just mileage and experience. Matter of fact, I would say sometimes, I would say all the time what's mistaken for wisdom is just mileage and experience because certainly have plenty of mileage and, and a fair amount of experience under my belt. Um, I, but I, I do make an effort. I've a couple of cases come to mind. There's a, a really excellent um, up and coming uh, individual in one of my organizations and uh, she was promoted to the senior leadership team and was very effective both tactically always had good strategic thoughts as well it wasn't just about uh, execution and uh and but when she got into the senior leadership team she was quiet and that's fine for a meeting or two but after about the third meeting you know i sought her out in the meetings and i could see there was a certain discomfort there and then sought her out privately to, to, for her to find her voice because I knew she had a lot to contribute. And when she got her voice, she challenged me, challenged everybody else, and it was great. But it, it took some getting used to because it was a bit of a foreign environment for her. What else is important in terms of integrity and leadership? Um, well, there, there, there's so much there. Look, um, I think you, you lead by example, and uh, or at least I lead by example. Uh, and that goes in every aspect. Uh, integrity certainly being you know very much at the top but again th to me it's not something we talked about a lot it's just the way we acted always being fair I mean I, I had situation where I had some of my staff in a customer say and the customer was just being disrespectful actually cursing it at, at my team and 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 just being erratic and I, I just called them up and, and these are the days when they paid a lot of money for, for software because it was enterprise, on-prem software. You're paying half a million, million, five million dollars for software. And I just simply said to them, you really cannot speak to our people like that. 
and I'll give you your money back because your business isn't worth it to us. Well, I didn't think a lot about that. It was just the right thing to do. And lots of things came out of that, lots of positive things. It could have gone in a lot of different directions. To give up what was probably at the time a million dollars, I don't remember the real number, but I would say if something in that ballpark would, would have been somewhat painful. But the reality, the outcome was the customer apologized to the individual. The individual obviously just doubled down on the organization, felt like the, the organization was behind them. We basically made a very clear statement. The customer is not always right. There are bounds um, to that. And and all of us learned from that, not just uh, myself, because you know I had never really done something like that before. Um, but secondly, the rest of the team and the client. And what I learned in that process, and it has something to do with integrity, is one of the most powerful words in business is no. Um, and not being something that you aren't, not committing to something you can't commit. Uh, if it doesn't feel right, saying no to it. Um, and, and that's a hard lesson, particularly in the early stages of business where it's a very steep slope that you're climbing every day. Donnie Eskin, I think that's a perfect lesson to end this conversation with. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. And, uh, and we'll do it again soon. Great. All right, thank you, Brian.